Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeremy. If we haven't had a chance to connect, I get to lead our young adult ministry. I'm on staff here at Redeemer and absolutely love what I get to do there. And I, I just have so much joy this morning as I get to worship with all of you, as I get to pray with some of you, and um, just now as I get to preach God's word to you all. And it's been really sweet this morning. My joy has just increased as I've been thinking about something that, that DJ said to me a little while ago. He looked at me and he said, you know, when we gather here, all of you, this is, this is family. This is a family to love, not a crowd to impress. And as God has just been sinking that truth more deeply into my heart this morning, there's just been greater and greater joy. And so I hope to preach out of this place of joy this morning. And it's, and it's fitting, too, because really over the summer, joy has been something I've been thinking quite a bit about. I'm finding more and more that, like C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, that the central story of my life is about finding and relishing in joy. Maybe you can relate to that. So let me ask you this morning as we begin, just what would you be willing to give up in order to find all-encompassing joy, like perfect joy? What would you be willing to sacrifice, lay down and say, I don't need that anymore to just, just to find joy? This is a question that Jesus explores in two parables that we're going to look at this morning. And you might recall that parables are, are similes or metaphors Jesus used to explain these heaven realities in just everyday terms. And Jesus taught that our joy is unlocked in the discovery of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is what all of these parables are getting at. What they're all telling us something of this kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, we're going to set our gaze on that heavenly kingdom. First and foremost, then we're going to need to define, like, what, what is the kingdom of heaven? And once we've done that, then we're just going to explore how this heavenly kingdom changes, literally changes everything. And that's good news, because if we're honest... Every turn we take in this world, sometimes it feels like this world is just trying to rob us of our joy. And yet, the Lord says, hey, discover me, discover this heavenly kingdom, and you will find great, immeasurable joy. So, if you, like me, and C.S. Lewis, who's gone before us, if you want to embark on this journey to find joy, I'm going to ask you to pull out your Bibles, go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one on the back of a seat near you. Please take that home with you. That's our gift to you. But flip to Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And as you get there, let me just pray for us this morning. Oh, God, I am truly so thankful to get to have this opportunity. What a sweet opportunity to get to just be, I hope, a conduit of what you want to say to your church. God, get me out of the way. No one wants to hear from me. I don't want to hear from me. God, we want to hear from you. And so do that this morning. Would you, and some of us today, just unlock joy? Would you grant us greater levels of freedom this morning as we fix our eyes on you and on your heavenly kingdom, what you're doing here on earth in your name? God, we celebrate that. We love that. We love you. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, the parables that we're about to study are unique. Most of the parables that we've been looking at this summer, you know, they're telling us kind of how the kingdom of heaven works a.k.a. the kingdom of God, how all of this works, that it's this upside-down kingdom where the last will be first, the first will be last. It tells us how it spreads, that the, the humble will actually be the ones who are exalted. It's telling us, hey, the kingdom of heaven, it kind of operates differently than things seem to operate in the world around us. It's special, this heavenly kingdom. But these parables this morning are going to do something different. They're going to tell us that we can actually obtain the kingdom of heaven, that in some sense we can have some share in it. We can grasp onto it in some sort of way. 
And so if that's, if that's possible, we got to know, okay, what is it that Jesus is offering us? What is the kingdom of heaven? So here's a definition for us today. The kingdom of heaven is God's, it's his heavenly reign manifested on earth that gives joy to those who find it. And this definition is a good one, but I want to offer a little more clarity here. Because the kingdom of heaven, I think at times it can, it can seem like a little elusive or it can seem a little mysterious. And so to give some more context, Jesus, when our Savior, when he came to earth, he brought something of heaven with him. He brought with him the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And he brought his reign, his rule, that enables hearts that were once hardened to become soft. Praise God. He brought with him this ability that he imparts to us to truly follow him in a way that others previously couldn't. And it was most fully ushered in, the kingdom of heaven, at Jesus' resurrection. Once his earthly ministry was complete, Jesus, he paved the way for the Holy Spirit to come and to indwell us. And with that came really the ultimate power of the kingdom of God. Before Jesus came, sin was keeping people from really truly being able to experience his reign spread across the earth. The Hebrews would, you know, they would get glimpses of God's power, but there wasn't yet this permanent solution to sin. So they didn't get to, to tangibly experience the power of God at work in them and through them to release them from their sin. And not only did they experience this bondage to sin, but they experienced bondage to different people groups physically. I mean, the, the Babylonians, the Egyptians before them, the, the Romans, like the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people were often finding themselves enslaved to another people group. And so they believed full-heartedly, they believed that one day this, this Davidic-like king was going to come in power with ferocity to rescue them from their bondage. That he was going to come in this just crazy, obvious fashion that, that everyone would see him and everyone would know who he is and, and, and that the Israelites were right to follow him. And they thought, hey, then we'll be free. So when this great king, when the son of God, when he came to earth, he came and he said, I am bringing with me the kingdom of heaven. And it's like a little mustard seed. And the people thought, what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, it's a mustard seed. One day it will grow large, but it starts out small and insignificant. And if you become like me, if you become a citizen of my kingdom, you will like me become gentle and lowly of heart. And the people thought, Jesus, we're already lowly. We're already oppressed. What are you talking about? We can understand why the great intelligent scholars of this time, they were disturbed by this. It didn't fit the bill of what they were so sure was going to happen. But here's the deal. Those who God had given eyes to see, ears to hear, they knew that there was a lot more under the surface. There was a lot more to Jesus' teaching than immediately met the eye. That God, in bringing this, this kingdom to earth, was bringing spiritual freedom in a radical way. And it might not look the way that people had anticipated, but it's there. It's here. Jesus has brought it with him. And this rule, this reign of God can pervade the lives of those who follow him if we believe, if we surrender. And Jesus expressed this perfectly with a story of hidden treasure. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, as you know, during Jesus' life on earth, they didn't have banks. They didn't have safes. You couldn't ride your, your camel or whatever over to the ATM and, and make a withdraw or something. So we take these things for granted. 
Uh, this time in history, in the Near East, if you had valuables, you didn't put them in a safe. You dug a hole somewhere and put them in the ground and just hoped that no one would find them. You go find a, some random plot of land, and uh, you know, X marks the spot. You would bury your treasure. That way you could go away on your, your summer travels or whatever, not have to bring all your belongings, and you wouldn't have to worry about soldiers coming in and looting you or, or thieves breaking in and stealing your stuff. Okay, so they would bury things in the ground. But as we learned a few weeks ago in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the ancient Near East was a dangerous place. People didn't always come back from summer vacations. And there would just be this loot, this treasure, randomly buried, no one else knew where it was, under the earth. So people during this time, they lived with an enchanted view of these large fields, these big plots of land. It's, it's, it's kind of like when I go to the sea. You, know, you look out and at the horizon, you just see just something that's very, very consistent. The water looks about the same color. Aside from maybe some of the waves, it all looks pretty flat, especially on a calm day. But you just know, hey, if I could get some snorkeling gear, or better yet, has anyone ever been scuba diving? I've, raise your hand if you've ever been scuba diving. Yeah, some of you have. I haven't yet. I'm jealous. I really want to go. But I always imagine, if I were to go scuba diving, what is like the, the coral reef that I might be able to see underneath, or the beautiful fish? There's all this hidden treasure under the surface. And similarly, this is the way that the Jews looked at these big plots of land. They're like, what is under there? What could be under there? Great treasure, perhaps. And Jesus He's, I love this, he's the master storyteller. Like he knows that there's this, this kind of whimsy around this idea. And so he uses that to his advantage. He talks about what could be under the surface of the ordinary in order to express a profound truth about the kingdom of heaven. As he sits on his boat, I imagine him speaking, beginning to speak, people leaning in, and this is what they would have heard. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his, what? Yeah. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, all that he has, and buys that field. When Jesus describes this field, it's helpful for us to know, he's likely describing this, this place out in the country. And legally, if a person were to find treasure like this, it's finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Okay, those rules apply, all right? Legally, it's, it's his treasure. But laws weren't super straightforward around this time. If, if the guy has an employer, the employer could say, hey, this man's actually working on my behalf, and when he lifted the treasure, he was doing it in my name, so I'm going to seize his treasure. Because laws weren't straightforward, this man's like, I'm not taking any chances. I'm selling all my stuff, fire sale. All of it's gone. I'm taking all the funds from that. I'm buying the field to make sure that no one can possibly take this treasure away from me. He's willing to give up all he has to obtain it. And so Jesus, in this parable, he's urging his followers, he's urging us today to say, go and find, discover the kingdom of heaven and do whatever it takes to obtain it. Okay, but how? How, how do we obtain? Remember, the kingdom of heaven is God's heavenly reign manifested on earth, earth that gives joy to those who find it. So how do we obtain that? What does that look like? I'm thankful. This is, this is fleshed out a lot in uh, the entirety of Jesus' teachings. In Matthew 5, 4, let me just read this over you. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we want to discover, if we want to find this, this heavenly reign and rule that can work in and through us, we must be poor in spirit. We must recognize our spiritual bankruptcy before God, that we don't bring anything to the table of redemption. 
Last week, if you were here, Richard preached um, on the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We don't want to be like the Pharisee who's like, hey, Jesus, look at all the things I've done. Look at all my righteousness. We need to be poor in spirit, willing to humble ourselves before God in faith, recognizing he's the one who has all we need. And if we do that, he makes us citizens of his kingdom. Praise God. And that means that we get to experience just God's, his powerful rule and his reign in our lives. That means God, he, he writes his law upon our hearts. It means that he makes hearts that were once hardened to the truth, he makes them soft. It means that you recognize he's Lord. We don't make him Lord of our lives. We just recognize he is Lord and we bow down before his glorious power. And the coming of the kingdom is what enables Paul later to write these amazing blessings, all these amazing blessings that are true for us in Christ. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us, kingdom citizens, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What? Every spiritual blessing. And then in Ephesians 2, he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is one of my all-time favorite passages. He says, I pray that you, you kingdom citizens, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's the power of the kingdom. It's what leads Peter later to write, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We could go on and on, but there is so much in Scripture telling us that there's there's, we've been given more than we can possibly comprehend. We have so much in Christ because he's brought his heaven in some sense to earth. And he's going to finish the job one day. We're not there yet. But he's bringing it to earth. And the entirety of scripture teaches us that if we have faith in Jesus, we may become a citizen of his heavenly kingdom. But we must believe in all of this, I just want to say the best way that we can understand the kingdom of heaven is to understand the gospel. Because the gospel is a message of God bringing heaven to earth. And the first, the first reality of the kingdom of heaven I want to lay before you all today is that the kingdom of heaven is obtainable by faith. We can obtain it. We can actually have, like the man in the parable, this incredible treasure. If you have faith, you will discover it. And it is discovered. This is something that I it just I'd missed growing up. I, I always thought that I helped Jesus build his kingdom. And then the Lord just lovingly convicted me and was like, hey, you don't help me build my reign and my power. You just find it. 
and it works in and through you in ways you can't even imagine. And Jesus, as he sits on his boat, as he teaches, he's beckoning his listeners, his followers, to come find this precious treasure that exists just under the surface, if they're willing to look, if they're willing to believe. I imagine some on the beach listening to Jesus, and they don't have this fleshed out understanding of the kingdom of heaven. They're just thinking, they're like, oh, this is an awesome, you know, treasure hunting story. Wow, and they're imagining themselves, I mean, how can you not when you watch a, a treasure movie or whatever, like you imagine yourself, Nicolas Cage, finding this incredible treasure and, you know, hidden on the back of the Declaration of Independence, whatever. Like, you put yourself in the story. And so they're imagining themselves uh, hitting the jackpot, striking gold. And as they would have grabbed this treasure, they would have imagined themselves going, huh, okay, I can kind of divide out this portion of it. I'm going to go sell that some of the treasure that I found, and then with the money I get from this, I can go buy back what I, what I sold in order to get it, and I'm going to gain all this extra stuff. It's kind of like finding a, Aladdin, finding genie in a bottle. You know, you get all of your wishes granted to you. And Jesus is saying, hey, not quite. <laughs> Being the master, he knows what's in their hearts. He knows where they're going, and he speaks right to the heart. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had in order to buy it. And at this, those who had ears to hear, those who had eyes to see, were able to see, oh, whoa, okay, I can't have this pearl, I can't have the kingdom of heaven and sell part of it. Either I have the pearl and nothing else, or I sell the pearl and I get everything else. It's an either or. Jesus is saying here to his followers, look, the kingdom of heaven is priceless. You don't need anything else. Sell all you got and be content to keep it sold and just, if you find me, you found everything. You found everything you need for life and joy and fulfillment. The kingdom of heaven is priceless. This is the second reality of the kingdom of heaven this morning. You don't need to add anything to it. If you have the kingdom of heaven, the gift of Jesus himself, everything else is just this unnecessary gravy on top. So when we initially come to faith, I think we get some sort of glimpse of this. We're kind of like the man who sees the treasure for the first time and we're like, whoa, I got to have that. Our, our gaze is fixed on it, on the beauty of Christ and his gospel and what he's done for us. But how easy is it? to kind of, uh, with time, to begin to disregard it, to, to not gaze at the beauty of the gospel and to get sidetracked with other things. We would never say we don't want the treasure anymore. We don't want the pearl anymore. But we begin to say, hey, I think I can have that, and I think I can have the lake house too. I want the lake house. And I want the luxurious retirement and the popularity at work and that cute girl's attention. And maybe the sin in my life can stay in some sense because I have the grace of the kingdom of heaven. We begin to try to find these other quote-unquote treasures that really don't satisfy because we get our eyes off of the prize that God has already given us. We put the, heaven of king, the kingdom of heaven, in some sense, we put it on a shelf. We put the pearl up in the attic. We put the, the treasure out in the garage to fill our houses with more things. And Jesus looks at that and he says, look, I've given you every spiritual blessing. I've seated you with me in the heavenly places. Like, what more do you want? Why are you bent on something more? Now, to clarify, God may give you one day a lake house. He may already have, and that's 
amazing. I'm not knocking that. In fact, if God were to give Meg and I a lake house one day, we would be very thankful for that. That would be pretty sweet. But here's the point. What is the aim of your life? What is your main priority? This is a question that's just been wrecking me over the last week. If the people closest to you were to examine your life, the way you steward your time, money, talent, relationships, what would they say the ultimate treasure of your life is? Take a moment to think about this. If you're taking notes, write down this question. The Lord, like I said, has been lovingly gracious to convict me throughout the week as I meditate on this, this question. We don't want to be the rich young man. I'm going to read this passage for you about the rich young man out of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you don't need to turn there. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says, and as he, as Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, I love, I love this, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the man goes away. Because he had a, a lot of stuff that he didn't want to give up. He had great possessions. So Jesus offers this rich young man a share in the kingdom of heaven. And the man refuses it because he's unwilling to give up some nice blessings that God had, had given him. He was unwilling to give up some of his earthly things. So am I saying this morning that, that we have to go home, like today, all of us are going to go home and have a fire sale of our own, sell all we've got, give to the poor. Like, is that necessary for Salvation, based on these parables, is that a requirement? No. Leon Morris is a scholar who's helpful on this topic. And he writes, Jesus is not saying that a man may buy his way into the kingdom. That would fly in the face of all his teaching. The selling of all he has is rather a way of bringing out the truth that one should count all as well as lost for the sake of the kingdom. It may not appear to be riches from the world's point of view, but membership in the kingdom has superlative value. So if you live in a way, this is the point here, if you live in a way where you're more concerned with an earthly possession, a house, a car, yourself, a relationship, whatever it is, if you're more obsessed with that than you are with Jesus, more obsessed with that than the kingdom of heaven, you may not be saved. You may need to search your heart and say, God, am I really saved? Because to be saved is to say with Paul, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what it means to be saved. This utter abandonment, this faith in God that, God, you're enough. Everything else I counted as loss. 
I want you and you alone. Instead of living this way, I find myself, it's easy to get sidetracked and to get really fixated, tight-fisted with blessings in our lives. It reminds me a lot of uh, one of the first times I ever went tubing on a lake with Meg, and this is before we got married. We're with her family. And if you go tubing on a lake with your girlfriend and her parents, you have something to prove, okay? You're on a mission to hang on no matter what. That was me, okay? Her parents grew up doing this, so they're pretty good at it. And they're pretty good behind the wheel, too. They were determined to knock me off. But I thought, hey, I'm going to stay on no matter what. And so I had this ironclad grip around these straps on the tube. And at first I thought I was doing pretty well, but before long, like, Doug, her dad gives me this smirk and makes a hard turn. And we end up hitting this, this big wake, and the tube goes flying up in the air. And as it goes up in the air, it begins to twist and turn. And I'm, I'm just noticing, okay, this trajectory is not good. Comes down on top of me, buries me under the water. And like a crazy person, I stayed holding on. <laughs> I'm, I'm underneath the water being dragged at a pretty fast speed. Just my eyes are shut and I'm like trying not to drink a ton of water, gallons of water as I'm being drowned underneath this, this tube. But I'm not letting go because I'm trying to wrestle this thing back over on top. And finally, the tube gets ripped from my hands and it hurt. It hurt because I was grabbing on so tightly. I bobbed to the surface with my life jacket. I'm frustrated. I'm thinking, okay, game plan next time. I'm going to shift my weight this way. I, I had this whole plan, and I had all this pride that I had, to, I had to show off. I had to do a good job. I had to flex my muscles for Meg. You know, I had to win her over. Like, I don't know what was going through my head, but I was so determined. And I get back on the tube, same thing happens. And then again, and finally, I got, I got into the boat, and Meg's younger brother, Clay, I'm so thankful for him. He's wise beyond his years. He looked at me. And he said, Jeremy, just let go. <laughs> and I said, you're right. <laughs> and I realized in that moment what I'd been hanging on to, more so than the straps, I was hanging on to pride. And there was so much that awaited me if I would just let go. And so I, I got back on the tube. We went out again, and inevitably, same thing happens, tube slipping over. And I let go. And I had this much softer landing in the water. I bobbed to the surface, and as the boat came around, I actually took in my surroundings. I realized I'm on a beautiful lake. Like, the breeze is coming through my hair. There's trees that look gorgeous out here. I began to experience more joy because I let go of this thing that was trying to drown me. And God, I think, wants to do something similar in some of our hearts this morning. He's saying, hey, will you just let go? Will you just experience the joy that I have for you in the kingdom of heaven Sometimes life is going to allow us to skid on top of the water, having a blast. And more often than not, it's going to throw you off big time. But if you live with a willingness to let go, it's going to be way less painful, and you're going to experience way greater joy. This brings us to the third reality of the kingdom of heaven this morning. The kingdom of heaven requires you, requires me, requires all of us to live open-handedly. This may sound difficult, but it's for our best good. I want you to look back at verse 44. What motivated the man to sell all he had? It was joy. To surrender everything is a product of joy. Like the man and the merchant, once you get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, when you see that treasure, you'll be willing to empty your hands of all you got to say, yeah, I want that. 
I'll give up this so I can go grab that. So are you willing to give up what brings you some pleasure for what gives you great pleasure? Are you willing to give up a lesser treasure for a greater treasure? Are you willing to experience some temporary suffering for an eternity of delight? Are you willing to let go this morning? And can I tell you the best part? When you fully surrender, when you reprioritize even what God has made, what what he's given you and your ultimate treasure in him, you won't hide it somewhere on a shelf. You will relish in it. You will enjoy it. You will share it with others. And as others see this treasure that God has given you, they'll say, yeah, I I believe I want that too. And you get to point others to this great treasure. And what, what, what greater joy than that? than to get to relish in all that God has given us with others who don't yet have it. A good friend of mine put it this way, when you follow Jesus, you bring God's kingdom of light to bear upon your thread in the world at that moment. You become like a spark of heaven, a glimpse of heaven where you are when you follow Jesus. And that leads to even more joy. And a lot of you, you're hearing me say this word joy, joy, joy. Maybe it even grates against you a little bit because you're like, I don't have that. I am not there. All this joy sounds great, but if we're honest, like, that seems unattainable to me. Let me ask you one more challenging question. What is it that could be keeping you from that joy? What could be keeping you from following Christ in order to bring that thread of heaven down to earth where you are? What is keeping you from living life with open hands to God? Often I found in my, in my life when there's a lack of joy, it's because I'm hanging on to something. And when I let go, there's this release, there's this ability to finally find what I've been actually looking for. For some of you, it's control. Some of you haven't found this great treasure. And today, the Lord, like just through his word, he's saying, let go of control. Let go of it and and recognize I am Lord. Recognize I have everything you need. I'm here. Surrender. For others of you, maybe you do have the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, but you put it on a shelf somewhere. It's out in the garage, it's up in the attic, whatever. You need to reprioritize it. In order to do that, you need to let go of this need to look a certain way. You need to let go of having this idea that your family has to treat you exactly this way. It's maybe letting go of a need to be desired. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. It could be addictions, whether it's to to alcohol, to lust, to likes on social media, whatever that is, uh, it, it might be that you need to release the need to be right. Perhaps it's letting go of the need to be respected by everyone. If we're, if we're citizens of the kingdom, we're not going to be respected by everyone. Jesus wasn't, so we can't expect to either. And maybe it's something practical for you. Maybe it's something like extra sleep. God is saying, hey, if you would just sacrifice that extra sleep and come be with me in the morning, I have so much joy. I have so much treasure I want to give you. And for some of you in the room, it's shame. There is some deep-rooted shame and something way in your past that the Lord, he's forgiven you of. And he's just saying, hey, you can let go. You can release that today. And so as, as you think about this question on the screen, I need each of you to get your hands on a sticky note and pen. So if you look behind, if you're sitting at a seat behind a Bible, look past that Bible, you're going to see a little baggie. Pull out pens and sticky notes. Pass them out to everyone around you. Make sure everyone near you has a sticky note and pen. So those of you sitting behind a Bible, you got a big job to do this morning, okay? Or if you're the closest person to it, you go, got to go get it. Make sure everyone around you gets a sticky note and a pen. 
I'll give you guys a minute to grab these. Now, once you get your sticky note, once you get your pen, here's your job. Instructions are going to be on the screen. I want you to write down what is something I am holding on to with clenched fists. What is something I'm holding on to that God is saying, hey, just let go. Just let go of it. I want you to write that down. And I want you to begin just begging God, begging him to help you to let go for about five minutes. Glenn's going to play the keys for us. He's going to tickle the ivories while you pray. And I just I want to invite you, pray and just beg God, God, help me to let this go, whatever it may be. And I'll be back up in five minutes.